Today's episode of Your Stories is brought to you by The Safe House. The Safe House invites you to experience Chicago's number one spy-themed bar and restaurant, located in the heart of River North. Your next late-night mission should include a stop at The Safe House, where you can sip on giant charitable cocktails, dance the night away to our live DJ, and exit through our top-secret laser maze. Named Chicago's most Instagrammable restaurant, don't miss out on the fun every Friday and Saturday night. For more information, visit safehousechicago.com. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories to me has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not, not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story and their story is your story and then it's our story and then it's a podcast so it's everybody's story and then you've shared it and gosh that's great huh and even if you don't think you're a nerd you probably are it's easily the most midwestern thing i've ever been a part of y'all it's shelby and we're back with a brand new episode of your stories last night we continued the tradition of february being dedicated to fan fiction for the unfamiliar or in case you missed any of our previous years fan fiction is simple fans take properties that they love and they make their own stories in those worlds and with those characters it's been a favorite pastime of mine for a very long time so every year i'm excited for this night it also happened to be chris and my first night producing and Thank goodness, not that I'm surprised, it was a huge success. Today's episode is an accidental run of some 80s nostalgia with heartfelt stories from Elliot Bessman, Ruby Desjardins, and yours truly, I couldn't resist. Per usual, we've got some great music from cover stories. Every year that we do fanfiction February, we challenge them to come up with some sort of creative theme, and this year I think they really nailed it. Make sure to like Your Stories on Facebook and follow at Your Story Show on Twitter for all the latest updates. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of Fan Fiction February 2019. Alright. Man, the lights are bright up here, aren't they? On Welcome. Broadway! No, it's not Welcome uh, to your stories, everybody. Uh, yeah. This is our first go, hosting ourselves. We're super excited. Fan Fiction February has been happening for a long, long time. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing that it still is. It's always an interesting night mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of really, really strange moments. So I'm excited. <laughs> um, so if you haven't been to a show before, uh, your stories is a storytelling show. Uh, we like to keep it really positive. Laugh when appropriate, cry when appropriate. 
It's all about supporting the people that come up here and are brave enough to uh, be vulnerable on stage. It's hard enough to do. I don't even like it right now. <laughs> but, right? like, it's fun. You should tell a story in the future if you're not <laughs> telling a story now. Yeah, so we'll have uh, two halves with an intermission in the middle, and let's roll. All, All right. right, and we are going to kick off by bringing out the best band in podcasting, Cover Stories, to start us off with the music. That's a very lovely introduction, Shelby. Thank you so much. Tonight, we are going to be honoring the theme of fan fiction by playing for you Selections from Rock Band, which is the truest fan fiction sort of uh, video gaming experience that you want to be a part of. Um, and Eric, you want to talk about the order of the songs? Yeah, so these are ordered in uh, in difficulty that you would unlock playing Rock Band. <laughs> so we're, we're starting at tier one right now, and then you guys are free to rate us uh, if you'd like. <laughs> Remember, it's one star to gold star in the Rock Band system, so you tell us how we did. It's how harmonics counts.
five stars. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't quite gold. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, guys. Why, thank you, guys. What a good way to kick things off. The deep and unabiding nostalgia of rock band. Um, so, uh, as Chris mentioned up top, uh, this is our first month of producing this show. Definitely not terrified of the whole prospect. Um, and so to kick things off, because I think it's been a little bit since either um, either of us have told many stories, and because this is a month I am um, an inordinately passionate about, <laughs> uh, I wanted to do a, a kind of a kick off with a brief story, and Chris is going to kick off the second half with a brief story. Um, so the reading begins. Do you know where Coach Brooks is, sir? The girl asked, eyes cast to the ground. He just left. Can I help you? I'm Coach Patrick. She smiled at him shyly, still not looking him in the eye. I'm not sure, sir. I'd like to help out with the hockey team. Craig tried to hide his surprise, having difficulties. Her? Help with the team? He sized up her curvy frame, eyeing the Blackhawks jersey that hung from her torso. It seemed possible she played hockey, but there was no way she was going to be able to help them. I'm sorry, he asked, looking her in the face. You said he just left? She looked at him, knowing exactly what he thought. It certainly wasn't the first time she had encountered this. The best way to deal with it was to be a bit pushy. I'll go look for him. He knows who I am. He looked at her strangely. Thanks, coach, she added. As she walked out, Craig looked at her from behind. He couldn't believe this girl intended to help out with an Olympic hockey team. This is a excerpt from a fiction or a fan fiction piece that I wrote in 2005, um, and uh, it is about the movie Miracle. I have mentioned this briefly in a past fan fiction February episode, but I'm fucking talking about it this month. Um, if you are not familiar, the movie Miracle is a vaguely fictionalized account of the 1980 Olympic U.S. hockey team defeating the Soviets in one of the greatest sports games of all time. This is not the room for that, I know. <laughs> but it's fan fiction, so I'm tying it in. Um, so aside from, and this is an aside to the actual story, uh, I, I used the phrase hung from X's torso to describe wearing clothes to an alarming degree in my fan fictions, and it really does sound like something a serial killer would say. I realize that now. I was trying to be creative. It sounded real murdery. Um, but so I, I wrote this fan fiction in 2005 because I was, I was playing hockey. I loved the movie. Um, it was an incredible, inspiring story. Um, and what I did with things that I found really exciting and, and inspiring was I, I lived in those worlds. I wrote fan fiction. I sat on <laughs> the Neopets role-playing board, something I've also talked about. Check our archives. Um, and really just existed in these spaces and these, these narratives that I really loved. So, but here's the thing about the miracle story. All those people are fucking real. Those are real human beings that the story is about. Like, I wasn't writing fan fiction about She-Ra kissing Catra. Though, maybe I will. Um, these are real human beings that I wrote stories about. And I remember at the time having this sort of vague feeling that maybe this was a little strange. Like, not that I think that any of the uh, 1980 Olympic hockey team was like, trolling fanfiction.net to read stories about their uh, read stories about their their game 
But it was an odd, it crossed my mind as a sort of an odd thought. Um, this was an early period, so I actually wrote that fiction where it lived in the miscellaneous movies category. I went back today to look. Um, I originally couldn't find my story because there is a whole category dedicated to miracle fan fiction now. Uh, it's 78 stories full, which is more than you would think. Um, and most of the stories are indeed fictionalized accounts of these people, these real human beings. And in retrospect, like as a grown-ass adult looking back at this, I realized that part of the reason why I was able to shift off the discomfort of, oh, these are real humans I'm writing stories about, um, was in large part because I wrote that at a time where I was very, I was introverted without realizing it. I was <laughs> clinically anxious and depressed without realizing it. Um, and though I loved stories and narratives about people, I struggled with the relation to the real humans. <laughs> I was friendly enough, but actually getting to know people and, and working with them was a little bit more challenging. What was easier was being in a, in a space that I could inhabit, right? A space that I could dictate um, and, and create myself. Unfortunately, that's not always a really great plan, right? That is, we are not necessarily the best authors of our lives. I, I was going to dig it out. I did not get a chance to, um, but I have an old diary at our house, and in it is a list that I wrote of non-negotiables for a future husband. <laughs> some of them are reasonable, like intelligent and nice, but some of them are unreasonable, like plays hockey and likes musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the portrait of what that list created was something that was so remarkably unreasonable, A, for like another human being, um, but B, for a, what a long-term satisfactory relationship would look like. But because I was so uncomfortable and misunderstood people and how to relate to that degree, writing it made sense to me. Constructing it was the safest way for me to go about it. Um, and I look back now and I, I have a deep amount of affection for the dumb, dumb child I was and the amount of control I tried to exert. Um, and I look back on this miracle fan fiction, which is another self-insert fanfic. Um, whoops. Uh, <laughs> if you guys are familiar with fan fiction, you are familiar with the Mary Sue and familiar with the self-insert. Um, but, but it really it was a time of me kind of flexing and figuring out what it meant to relate to other human beings um, and how to be a, a person. And what I learned eventually was how to understand people more complexly um, and let them be them and live my life alongside them and learn to build relationships that way rather than kind of constructing this massive narrative in my head. Um, I would not suggest you go out and read this fan fiction. It's not that bad. It's just deeply boring. I also, <laughs> like all of my other fan fiction series, never finished it. Mm. So it's going to end on a underwhelming cliffhanger. But uh, I am very thankful for that time because it was a moment of just sort of like testing boundaries um, and figuring out how to understand how people relate to one another. Um, so luckily for you guys, I'm not going to subject you to the rest of this. But I did want to share, um, when I say I love fan fiction, I was writing it 13 years ago, <laughs> 14 years ago. Um, and it's a, it's a topic near and dear to my heart, just like your stories, just like this fan fiction February uh, theme that we do. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. Really happy to have you all here and let you Take a little bit. Let me take a little bit of self-indulgent time telling my own story on a show that I'm hosting. <laughs> We're learning. Um, so we have got some fantastic storytellers for you tonight. I am so excited um, to kick things off. 
Uh, the first storyteller, uh, we had a lovely conversation before the show um, regarding quite a few social media spaces. Um, so I think there is some, and also some conversation about um, a certain uh, fiction writer, pornographic fiction writer, uh, Chuck Tingles, who we were talking about. It was very good. Uh, <laughs> Elliot Bestman. Give it up. So the first fan community I ever joined was this online message board called The Padded Cell. And I spent weeks just lurking around it before I ever made an account. I hung out in the shadows, consuming the fan fiction, the art, like a hungry nerd ghost, terrified that if I made my presence know, they'd think I was some kind of weirdo. <laughs> I was in high school, so it was a sensation I was used to. And for a while, lurking was good enough. However, there was one part of the forum that was member-locked, meaning you had to have an account in order to get inside it. And it taunted me with a tiny little padlock next to the sub-forum name, the Slash Haven. Now, Slash, it's fallen out of favor a bit, but Slash is an old fandom term that translates roughly to gay romance, dudes making out, and everything that comes after that. <laughs> and I'll tell you when you're older. So Slash fan works were really the only exposure I had to anything gay during the majority of my uh, childhood and young adulthood. I didn't know any other queer people growing up, or at least I labored under the illusion that I didn't. Um, the closest thing I had to queer culture was just reading these endless reams of carefully crafted stories about fictional boys and the occasional fictional girls having these long, drawn-out, florid love affairs with each other under varying levels of contrived scenarios. <laughs> and now, kids these days, they have their Steven Universes, they have the she they have all that, they have it easy. My generation, we had to make our own gay, like, from subtext and spare parts. Uphill, <laughs> both ways, in the snow, with dial-up. <laughs> and so eventually, the temptation of the slash haven became too much, and I plunked down my email, my date of birth, for an account. And the first post I ever made, my hands were nearly shaking with anxiety. And my trust did not go unrewarded. I'd finally found people who liked what I liked. Not just that, but they liked my ideas about what I liked, and they thought I was an interesting person for having those ideas. The first time I posted actual fan fiction of my own, and somebody commented that they thought it was good, I nearly did a victory lap around the house, and then I had to explain to my mom why I was freaking out, and it was this whole thing. But whatever. I was 16. I think got me excited. So, as I'd come to find out, the Slash Haven was member-locked because it provided a way to filter out the occasional trolls who absolutely had to tell the world how much they disapproved of people making the things they liked gayer. <laughs> Paradoxically, this meant that the people who actually made it into the Slash Haven felt freer to discuss exactly how they were making these things gay and the mechanics of the gay-inning. And, <laughs> and one of the most contentious arguments in the entire fandom, does it even count as gay? when you're writing about giant shifting machines from space. <laughs> Forgot to mention this was a forum for the Transformers franchise. <laughs> so, Transformers was not a quality show, and the trans fans would be the first people to tell you that. But it was a fun show, and a lack of fucks given by the creators meant we had a lot of material to play around with. <laughs> As you would expect from a perpetually rebooted franchise directed almost entirely at selling toys, the show's canon was pr written primarily by men and featured a cast that was likewise. Female Transformers existed but were rare, distinguished primarily by lipstick, hourglass figures, and an unsettling tendency to wind up in romantic subplots. 
They were few in number, but yet there they were, installing the canon with a sense of gender's existence in a way that a slowly male society did not. And this left the fandom in a bit of a pickle. What makes you male or female if you have a trunk, but no junk in it? <laughs> Is Starscream still gay for Megatron if the only balls that are touching are ball bearings? In space, can anyone hear your gender? Now at the time, I'd never so much as heard of transgender people. The idea that gender could be something besides your body, something you could shift and shape to your own devices, that was blowing my little teenage mind. Now, it was awesome that Transformers could fly and turn into cars and shoot lasers, but I was much more drawn to what they were doing in their spare time. <laughs> a robot could change their entire shape on a whim, and immediately people would start calling them by their preferred new name, no questions asked. Men could be tiny and pink, women could be literally built like tanks, literally. And when you're a robot who's also a car, your body and presentation has nothing to do with who you are under the hood. By the time I hit college and discovered the concept of gender as a social construct, it felt like a natural outgrowth of ideas originally explored in Transformers fan fiction, which is a sentence you will never hear at a gender studies conference. <laughs> now, yes, these were extrapolations not present in the original text. That's literally the definition of fan fiction. We had a loosely written canon to play with and a very weird fandom with a lot of time on its hands. <laughs> and quite honestly, the only thing weird in the fandom itself was that it took me 13 years past this to realize that I was transgender. 13. Really obvious looking back at my AO3 account. <laughs> and I know I was not the only one who came out of the fandom with different pronouns than they went in with, and not all of them kept their ideas on fanfiction.net either. About two years ago, the Transformers Lost Light comic book series introduced two new Transformers, Anode and Lug, whose exploration of the galaxy and themselves had led them to decide that female was just a better fit for the two of them than their assigned gender setup. The issue of the comic where Anno discusses her decision was consulted on by writer Rachel Stevens, who is a trans fan and a trans hyphen fan. <laughs> and Anno's dialogue sounded very familiar to anyone who'd gone through the same self-reevaluation. It wasn't meant to be subtle. Also, Anno and Lug get robot gay married later in the comic, and it's freaking adorable. <laughs> Read it. This is a recommendation. It's just blowing my mind so much that the kind of stories, the kind of people who used to hide behind double-layered security on internet message boards with a paragraph of caveats begging Hasbro not to sue us for our sins, are now getting published as official canon with the Hasbro stamp of approval. Kids these days, they have it easy. Good. Maybe they won't have to wait 13 years to get a clue. Thank you. might achieve the thing that Eric's been trying to do for like a decade and that's to get me to care about Transformers. Um, yeah, very good. Love it. Make it gayer. All of it. Make it as gay as possible. Love it. Uh, thank you so much. Um, our next storyteller, uh, super excited to have her here um, and tell us a very interesting story. Very excited. Uh, Ruby Dejarjan. Which I tried. I tried. Tried your life. Jam is truly outrageous, truly, truly, truly outrageous. Whoa, jam, jam, the music's contagious, outrageous. Jam is my name, no one else is the same. Jam is my name. Actually, my name is Ruby, like she said, but Jam, Ruby, very close, right? And Jen taught me a lot about life. Um, so I think you're my target demographic, but for those born in the wrong decade, in 1986 and 87, Gem and the Holograms was the number one rated cartoon in America. 
Jen was a pop star with pink hair, a multiracial all-female backing band, and the aforementioned holograms. They were named that because Jem could touch her earrings, say, synergy, and turn into her more modestly dressed, blonde-haired music manager and alter ego, Jerrica Benton. If this sounds familiar, it's because Hannah Montana would later steal this shtick and mine it for all it's worth. But Jem wasn't slumming it with a blonde wig like little Miley Cyrus, because her dad invented these ultimate futuristic holograph projectors, and after his death, she put that technology on her ears and used it to instantly transform her whole appearance. After my dad's death, I inherited his air popper, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Anyway, like many international pop stars, Jem and her bandmates also ran a foster home for young girls, Starlight House. And all this took place somewhere in the States. See, I was raised in not quite America. My parents, seriously, were a folk calypso duo um, <laughs> uh, who surrounded me with beautiful harmonies, ocean breeze, and marijuana smoke. <laughs> I grew up on a tiny island in the Caribbean, same as my mom. Jen lived a life of the newest fashions and bright lights. We shopped exclusively at thrift stores and the power went out a lot. Um, on top of the whole no electricity thing, my TV time was pretty limited because we believed in nature and creative play, constant nudity, um, and the messages of Maria Montessori. As a result, I didn't get to see as much of Jem as I wanted. This meant that every episode counted. <laughs> when I did get to watch, my mom would use my favorite show to teach me important life lessons. There was one episode I remember where a new foster teenager, Laura Holloway, arrives at Starlight House. She has to go to a new school where she has a really hard time making friends until some super cute guy gives her a weird pill for free. <laughs> when she gets home, she swallows it and starts to see things, and also she thinks that she grows wings. Um, she's all, and I quote, I want to fly, fly like a bird. All my life I've crawled, but now it's time for Laura Holloway to fly. She opens up the window to jump, and Jerrica, a.k.a. Jem, runs up the stairs as she pulls her from the windowsill. Jerrica says, you're not a bird. You're Laura Holloway. To which Laura Holloway replies, not a bird. What a bummer. <laughs> Just Laura Holloway, double bummer. <laughs> the episode ends with Laura getting clean and then buying drugs from her high school dealer while wearing a wire. <laughs> After she gets her only friend arrested, <laughs> we get treated to another rad song and as the credits roll, my mom turns to me with a grave face. Ruby, what she just did is called narking. <laughs> and a narc is the worst thing you can be. <laughs> I was six. <laughs> It hadn't even occurred to me to collude with the cops. <laughs> I still played with dolls and cared about cartoons. Because Jem wasn't just a cartoon. She was also a doll. That same year at Christmas, 
My brother and I wandered out, wiped some sleep from our eyes, and there she was, just standing beneath the tree in a box with a see-through window. She had cotton candy punk hair and a shiny fuchsia hooker dress. <laughs> Jen was the first present I'd ever received unwrapped. Her appearance was shocking. She looked naked among the red and green packages. She boldly rode through my morning like Lady Godiva. Actually, she was Joan of Arc, breaking boundaries because I had never before in my life received a toy I'd seen on TV. I didn't even think it was possible. I, I thought commercials were just there to like fuel our fantasies, tease us. <laughs> Having Jem in my clutches felt like someone had taken a television and smashed it over my face. <laughs> you mean everything I see in commercials is real? <laughs> Up until the day, the best gift that I ever received was the Christmas before when my dad had rescued from the dumpster a broken and sun-bleached Barbie house. After he lowered my brother in to snatch it, the two of them scrubbed it up till it was nothing like new. But on Christmas, it was this big production. They even led me out behind our little house for the big reveal. I filled that toy house with half a dozen yard sale Barbies, ones I'd fished out of milk crates half-dressed, covered in crayon makeup, their hair already approaching one big dreadlock by the time I brought them home. New to me. I tied yarns to the burned-out beams of my new house so ratty Skipper could swing like Tarzan. <laughs> Flying Head, the amazing bodiless Barbie, acted as butler. <laughs> the Barbie house. It was an incredible stroke of luck to find that in the trash. And it takes love to scrub it for hours with old toothbrushes. Luck and love are gifts from the universe. The gem was from Woolworth. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Barbie, she had flat feet so she could stand on her own instead of always teetering and needing to lean on something. <laughs> she seemed about, about a foot taller than my other fashion dolls. She was shapelier, wider waist, broad shoulders. She looked strong, like she could lead a band, or care for abandoned children. <laughs> she towered over my brother's G.I. Joes, the ones the other plastic women had previously dated or given birth to. <laughs> that Christmas morning, gem in hand, I looked at the woman who had given birth to me. I knew Santa was bullshit, and this was from my mom. I could see in my mother's eyes this was more than a doll. It was a message. I love you. I want you to enjoy all the universe offers, even if it means that you'll someday leave me for the States. But remember, I know where you live. <laughs> Don't be a narc. <laughs> So now let's say we played through like the first tier and now, now we're getting somewhere. We're getting to some songs that maybe not everyone has heard of but are good and harmonics wants to expose people to and they need to take a little bit of skill, especially on this thing here. And also we need songs that ladies like to sing. <laughs>
This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening.